Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 13, and uh, verse 18 and verse 20. And sound and media team, you guys are good to go. Once you get that recording started, have a seat with your family. And uh, this is family time. So, I'm excited about all that God's doing. Truly, we serve. I just, I, I, lately it's starting to bug me when I say we serve a mighty God because he is the mighty God. Uh, And anyway, Luke chapter 13 and verse 18, we've talked a little bit about this subject here and there throughout different messages and different services, but I wanted to spend some time describing uh, to us, teaching to us. If you would, we stand out of respect for the word of the Lord. You may not like me and that's okay, but we need to respect the word of the Lord. So Luke chapter 13 and verse 18 says, Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? Verse 20. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? We're going to talk tonight about analogies of the church analogies of the church let's put our bibles down and let's pray god we love you and we thank you for all that you've done we thank you for all that you're doing god i pray lord that your will would be accomplished in this place god i pray that every heart every mind every life would be touched opened to your word god we thank you for all that you've done God, I pray that every heart and mind would be open to to your word. God, whatever it is that you have for us tonight, God, I pray that you would help us to better understand the church, to better understand what we are a part of. God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing. God, we pray, Lord, that your will would be accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't you clap your hands tonight? Jesus name don't mind my very my very attractive orange extension cord it is uh, not part of the analogy tonight it's just a product of me forgetting to make sure my phone was fully charged I mean I forgot to change into my dress clothes so just give me some slack on this one all right oh my word here we go I need more slack than I had Jesus name you can be seated you can be saved. Jesus' name. So, the church. How many are thankful to be a part of the church? I am. I'm thankful to be a part of the church. Luke chapter 13, and please, you're going to have to trust me a little bit on some of this tonight because we're not going to spend the time to provide context for every single passage of Scripture that we read. Um, and so, you're just going to have to take my word for some of this. The context that we find in Luke chapter 13 is we find that Jesus 
is in the synagogue and it is the Sabbath day. Uh, and Jesus is a teacher. Uh, there's a lot of things. A teacher is one of them. I mean, just think about it. The source of smarts is in the church house and it's church time. He is the word. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, if he was physically here tonight, we would just say, because he is the source of all knowledge. He is the living word. And so you put Jesus in the synagogue on church day, and he just starts teaching, starts pouring out of him. And so he's, he's desiring that every individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, has an understanding of what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And so in, in these two verses that we read, he's asking, unto what is the kingdom of God like? What can I compare the kingdom of God to? He starts teaching the crowd, and, and we find him delivering to them analogies of the kingdom of God. He wants to help his audience understand what he's trying to teach. And so, believe it or not, young people, English and literature really do matter. In Jesus' case, it was Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic and literature. Um, but it didn't matter because we find Jesus using literary devices. I mean, he's, he's a very smart fella, but he wants to make sure that his audience understands what he is saying. And so there's an article that I had, had read and I had used it for a paper. Um, and I'll just read this to you. Uh, in the words of a man with a very complicated name, Amkar Fatak. In 2010, he wrote, one of the greatest inventions of the human mind is development of languages. The complexity of a language and its power of conveying ideas lucidly or clearly is testimony to the power of the human mind. Every idea or concept abstract thought or physical object has a name I hold this up somebody tell me what it is a towel thank you you guys were in agreement we use the language to describe things every idea concept abstract thought or physical object has a name language is a tool for analyzing and understanding concepts one such powerful literary tool or tool of cognition that's often used to explain the meaning of a concept is an analogy. This particular writer said an analogy can be worth a thousand words. It can be worth a thousand words. But what is an analogy? I mean, I know we're talking about the church tonight, Pastor, but what is an analogy? Out of all the, the language tools that are used in understanding concepts, uh, 
An analogy is one of the most important. You've heard of metaphors, you've heard of similes. Uh, we're talking about analogies tonight. An analogy uh, draws parallels between any two things, any two concepts or processes or relationships. And we use analogies because analogies help us understand things more easily. Making an analogy is understanding a new idea in terms of ideas that we knew before. So an analogy is based on underlying similarities in things. Anything new that we learn is understood by connecting it to what we already know. Imagine with me tonight the first car salesman. He is selling a horseless carriage. Even the name horseless carriage is an analogy. They're tying this new invention to something that they already understood. A carriage that was drawn by a horse, but now they've They've gotten really original. They said, now this is a horseless carriage. It's a carriage. It's going to move. It still has four wheels, but there is no horse. Well, how do you get it to move? I'm so glad you asked. And there was the first sales spiel. Okay? So we use an analogy to draw parallels between any two things, processes, or relationships. Oh, we're going to be good tonight. So... Tonight, we're learning about the church, and we're going to connect it to things that we already know. I mean, is, is church really just from 7 to 9.30 when pastor's teaching and gets long-winded and we go until 9.30 or 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock on a Sunday night or 11 o'clock to 12.15 because the kids start coming in and that's his alarm and he knows, hey, when the kids start coming in, things, you got to shut this thing down. I mean, is that really what church is? Is church a, 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 a beautiful building with nice pew chairs? Uh, is church under a brush arbor somewhere in the middle of the woods uh, back in the 20s and the 30s and 40s, 50s and 60s? Is it is it out in an open field underneath the tent? Is that what we're talking about when we talk about the church? Uh, tonight we're going to learn about the church and we're going to connect it to things that we already know. In fact, we need multiple analogies, and these we're just scratching the surface, okay? Even if we go for three or four weeks, we're just scratching the surface when we talk about the church. Because we need multiple ways of looking at things to help us understand what are we a part of? And believe it or not, understanding the church is going to help us disciple new people, and it's going to help us understand how even we ourselves fit into the kingdom of God. So, step back in time with me to a snippet of one of my assignments. And just bear with me here for a moment. Because it was easier just to read it instead of trying to retype it. Because I ran out of time. I believe that God used analogical examples, analogies in writing scripture. So that those who were hungry for more would dig through the surface sayings 
and discover what he meant in the depths of the riches of the Word of God. One writer describes the necessity of multiple analogies of the church because there are circumstances in our decision-making processes as a man of God or a woman of God that cannot be filled with simply one analogy of what the church should be. From our opening text, we understand that Jesus, Jesus wanted people to get it. He wasn't here just wasting his time, spending 30 years in a carpentry shop, and just keep that in the back of your mind as we hear some of the analogies that he used. Um, there's a reason why he wasn't born into a palace with a silver spoon or a golden spoon. There's a reason why he wasn't born in Herod's house. There's a reason he was born in a common man's family. Um, and he wanted people to get it. And, and, and the writer said if all the books that could have been written about him were written, the world could not hold them. So it wasn't because he didn't know how to speak. It was exactly because he knew how to speak and he knew how to relate to a, an audience. So tonight we're going to talk about several analogies of the church. The church is like the shepherd and his flock church is like a great work of art the church is like a fine building the church is like a bride the church is like a gathering place and that's about where my powerpoint stopped for tonight okay but if we make it there we'll go on without a powerpoint and we'll talk about the church is like a power company the church is like a fountainhead and on and on and on we could go but we're going to start tonight talking about the church like the shepherd and his flock you know the role of a shepherd can be traced all the way back to the book of beginnings that's the book of genesis genesis chapter 4 and verse 2 says and she again bare his brother abel abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground so we find the first family Adam and Eve their sons their two first sons Cain and Abel we find Abel their younger son at the time being a keeper of sheep this is the first occurrence in the Word of God where we find the role of a shepherd and let's not forget tonight that God accepted Abel's offering he did not accept Cain's offering. But we're not talking about Cain and Abel's offerings tonight, but we need to understand that from the very first family, God put shepherds in sight of humanity because there's coming a day when the church is going to be at a, a certain point in time, a certain place in history where they're going to need to understand what the church is like. And so we're going to take them all the way back to the beginning. And that's where we're starting tonight. The church is like the shepherd and his flock. The Hebrew word for shepherd is reah, R-A-H. This word is used over 75 times in the Old Testament. It is the same word that we would read if we were reading it in Hebrew 
uh, which I can't do, so we're going to read it in English, and you're going to have to take my word for it. In Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 through 6, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Notice, this is David's writing. This is one of David's psalms. He was a shepherd writing about God as the shepherd. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We could spend a week talking about every single one of these six verses, but we're not going to. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. One of those was a tool for direction and stability. The other was a tool of defense against the enemy. You know how to lead me, God, and you also know how to protect me. You make me lie down in green pastures. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. There's so much to preach in that verse, but I'm going to be good and keep moving forward. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever now it's important for us to understand tonight that the Lord is the shepherd the church is like the shepherd and his flock that Hebrew word reah denotes not only professional protection which we're thankful for we're thankful for his protection but he's not God who is sitting in the sky with a baseball bat just looking for people to swat. I mean, not even just that way towards our enemies. Okay? Not even just that way towards our predators. Because if he was that way, that means that he would still be separate from us. But that word denotes not only professional protection. He knows how to protect and he does it efficiently. He knows how to do it. But there's also a, a meaning of watchful care and personal companionship that is attached to that word. So it's, it's here in Genesis chapter 4 and in Psalm 23 and all throughout the Old Testament that we find Jesus Christ as the great shepherd who has established leaders over his flock. He cares about his flock. I told you that that word is used over 75 times throughout the Old Testament. One of the places that it is used is Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, which says, And I will give you pastors. That's that word for shepherds is the word pastors in Jeremiah 3.15. According to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So, Jeremiah is saying, I'm giving you pastors according to mine heart. Whose heart? God's heart. You need a pastor. We live in a world that is filled with voices. Filled with voices. 
filled with platforms. You know, they call YouTube a platform. The internet is a platform. Podcasts are a platform. This is a platform. You hear me? So when you're listening to them, you're letting them preach to you. When you're listening to them, you're letting them preach to you. Now, there's a lot of good people that have a lot of good things to say. But let me just tell you, just because they have a platform does not mean you ought to let them preach into your world. If what they're saying does not line up with the Word of God, that is not a voice that you need to be preaching to, into your life. And so you need to pray that God would give you discernment to know who to let preach into your world and what voices you need to shut out. But let me just tell you, let me, let me, just, let me just digress here. I am a pastor, and I couldn't preach to you about having a pastor in your life if I didn't have a pastor. That would be what we call a hypocrite. Okay? Now, I also have elders in my life that I can talk to that know that they're elders in my life and that I value their opinion. But I only have one pastor. Greg Wilbanks is my pastor. And if one of my other elders says something that he does not agree with, his voice matters. Whether I agree with his voice or the other voices. Ask Solomon's son. Who asked the elders that his dad, Solomon, had, had spoken with and, and worked with. And they said, you know, Rehoboam, they, they, the people do have a point. Your dad did a lot of good things. We lived in peace, but he sure did like that money. The taxes that he placed, they were grievous. So if you would just back off a little bit, they would love you for life. And so instead of listening to the voice of the men of God or the man of God, he, notice he didn't call for a prophet. He didn't call for the priest. He wanted a, a, a think tank. What's wrong with think tanks? They've got their place. But then he goes and he gets a group of his buddies. He says, what do you guys think? I'm just going to tell you what they said because it's in the Bible and you're going to, you can read it for yourself. Okay? They said, you go back to them. You go back to those people and you tell them that your little finger is bigger than your daddy's loins. That's what the Word of God says. Go read it. Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. It's there in all three accounts. That's, what, that's Old Testament. My little finger. And that's when ten tribes split into the northern kingdom and two tribes split into the southern kingdom. Because one young man refused to have a pastor. So, I've got elders, and there have been things that Bishop Wilbanks has told me to do or not to do that I did not agree with. 
We had a conversation. I expressed my opinion. His did not change. So mine did. I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you. I don't know about you, but I get hungry. And I want to have his voice in my life. And I want to be that voice in your life that feeds you with knowledge and understanding. So the church is like a flock, or I'm sorry, the shepherd and his flock. So with Jeremiah 3.15 in mind, it provides clarity for 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth when he says, We then as workers together with him, with who? With God, workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Going back to my paper here. God has established leadership within the kingdom of God to oversee the health, protection, and well-being of his people in his physical absence. The workers with him must understand that they are keepers of the property of God and must treat them as such. You see, folks, we've got to appreciate and value what we've been called to lead. I must appreciate the value of what I have been called to lead. I have been called personally to lead you. And so... I, as a shepherd, must understand that I am a shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'm getting ahead of myself. Why don't, why don't you just look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, hey, God's crazy about you. Why don't you look to your other neighbor and tell him, hey, God died for you. That makes you really important to him. That makes you really important to him. And so I, as your pastor, have to stand before him at the judging. And I have to give an account for you. So he put leaders over his flock. He said, I'm going to give you pastors. I'm going to give you shepherds, according to my own heart, who are going to be workers with me. I know this is really small, so you're going to have to read it along with me. So the pastor has a dualistic role, and that he is an under-shepherd. He is not the great shepherd. And so the pastor must realize that he too is part of the flock of God. He must understand that before he was ever a pastor, he was one of God's sheep. Relying solely upon the Lord for spiritual as well as physical well-being. Now, I wrote this not just with myself in mind, but also with you in mind. Because there might come a day where God's calling you, young man, to, to step into the role of ministry. And you have to understand that before you ever received the call to lead, you received the call to feed. In His green pasture, in His word, by His still waters... The acknowledgement of the role of pastoral leadership has not negated his need for communion with the great shepherd. He is obligated, even required, to maintain and grow in his walk with God so that he may, may, may remain strong and position himself in a spiritual place to hear the direction of the great shepherd for the health and wellness of the flock over which he has been placed. 
The Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So, there is a difference between an under-shepherd and hired help. John chapter 10 and verse 13, I'm sorry, verses 11 through 13, Jesus speaking here said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling is not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not. When he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling, and he careth not for the sheep. So a hireling, according to Webster's Dictionary, is a person who serves for hire, especially for purely mercenary motives. In other words, the sheep are not their main concern. Money is. They work for wages. They have little personal concern about the sheep. Shepherding is only a job. And when a better opportunity comes along, they'll move on with no concern for anything but the pay. A hireling has no investment in the sheep. A shepherd is called to lead, to feed, and to protect the flock. And that's why a true shepherd won't tell the sheep only what they want to hear. I've, I've gotten into the habit as of late of just asking people who, who come to me for counsel, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Sometimes that's, that's really, I mean, you can just tell right off the bat. Okay, so you want me to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Because I'm not really in the business of just telling you what you want to hear. Now, I love it when that happens. When what you want to hear and what you need to hear align, I love it when that happens. Makes my job really easy, and I feel like the ice cream man. Driving the ice cream truck with a sign out that says, free ice cream today. Clean out my freezer. I love it when that happens. But, unfortunately, doesn't always happen. In fact, the chances of that happening are quite small. But I'm responsible for the shepherd. We'll keep it in the third person. The shepherd is responsible for the valuable stock of the great shepherd. He's crazy about you. He really is. He's crazy about you. He bought you. He didn't inherit you. He bought you. There's a difference. I mean, how many parents in the room can attest to when you're when you give your kid a new pair of shoes? They treat those shoes a lot differently than shoes that they bought with their own money. And you might have handed them a hundred and fifty dollar pair of shoes talk about that later <laughs> and they might have bought fifteen dollar blue light specials and when they put on the hundred and fifties that that you bought them they're running through the mud puddle but they put on the fifteen dollar mr rogers slip on velcros and they're walking around the puddles why because they bought it themselves 
people tend to treat things differently when they paid for it. When the money came out of their blood, sweat, and tears. One of the things that we've, we've talked to our kids about said, hey, well, you know, this item that you want to buy, how much is that? Don't rattle it off. Kids have expensive taste. I said, well, what do you make per hour? How many hours of your life will that item cost you? Oh, well, it, it really sucks the fun out of it. Well, puts things into perspective because when you're spending money out of your own pocket, things are a little bit different. And it wasn't money that he spent. It was his blood. His actual life. You're pretty important. You're very important to him. You're not just some casual run-of-the-mill person. You know, it's not like God just bumped into you at Walmart and said, Oh, hi, I'm Jesus. Who are you? No, he knows you. He loves you. He bought you with his own blood, with his own body, with his own brokenness. He bought you. He doesn't treat you like somebody that just inherited millions. No, you treat things differently when you paid for it. He purchased you. And so, the shepherd, the under-shepherd, has to understand that he is held accountable for the well-being of the flock. And so, the shepherd must feed the flock. To feed means to tend, to herd, and to lead to pasture. He must be able to transmit to the flock the mind of God in a clear and simple manner. You know, here's the deal. We also understand that we live in a fallen world. And so a fallen world really, it messes with the shepherd and his flock. Okay? Because not everybody immediately wants a pastor. Sometimes it takes time to build trust. Especially because we're dealing with sheep that have been hurt over and over and over again. And every time somebody lifts their hand to praise God, they flinch because they think it's going to fly in our direction. Every time they're approached, you're so intimidating. Six foot two and 300 pounds. I'm not going to eat you, I promise. Promise. And so, body language matters with the shepherd and his flock. Not everybody immediately wants a pastor. And so, the pastor has to be patient and understand that no one will ever reach that sheep. No one will ever be able to hold that sheep unless they're a true shepherd. Unless the message is transmitted that this shepherd loves me, understands me, and patiently leads me out of my fear and out of my uncertainty. Because here's the deal. 
true sheep really do want to follow. They do. They want a pastor. But they've trained themselves over and over and over and over again because of life and life circumstances and life's life to withhold trust. And so the shepherd must be able to lead them to still waters, to rich pastures, and understand that if I can get them to the still water, they'll drink on their own. If I can get them to green pastures, they'll eat on their own. So when you're doing outreach, you're working as an under-shepherd. In this city, you're working underneath my anointing as the under-shepherd of the city. And so when you're doing outreach, elder, everybody you go to may not. Sir, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? No, I don't. The door slammed. And so the best approach may not be standing on their front porch screaming, They're calling the padded wagon. Like this person has lost their lucky charms have spilled all over the ground. And so we live in a world that's that's broken. That affects the shepherd and his flock. Now the shepherd and his flock, I mean, there's there's so much here. We could talk for weeks about just this one analogy. There's a sheep fold that has one door. And, and the true shepherd is going to walk through the door. Any of the sheep are going to walk through the door. And he said, and if you try to get up any other way, you're a thief and a robber. That's pretty harsh, especially after you just got talk, done talking about it. Now listen, that's the word. There's one door. There's one way. It's a narrow way. Few there be that find it. Well, this isn't one that that church believes in. What is the way that leads to destruction? Many there be that find it. I want everybody to make it through the door. And if if we're going to help them make it through the door, we gotta we gotta learn to read the body language of the sheep. Okay? So the shepherd and his flock. The church is like the shepherd and his flock. Many people have trained themselves to withhold trust. Some people, man, you're going to be able to invite them to church and they're going to jump on the train and they're going to ride it all the way to glory. They're never jumping off. They're, there is no fear. I mean, they're just like, woo! They're on top of the train car. They are surfing down the track. Man, they're ready. They're drinking a Red Bull and reading the Bible at the same time, man. They're just ready to rock. And other people are going to, you're going to have to hold their hand. You say, hey, why don't we go drink coffee? And you can't invite them to church right away. you got to build a relationship so they know this person's not here to get X, Y, or Z. So, the hireling's not going to be able to do that because the hireling wants instant results. If you're not jumping on right now, I don't want you. Okay. So, the true shepherd is going to learn that if I can just get them to the water, 
they're going to drink naturally. If I can just get them to the pasture, they'll eat naturally. I'm not going to have to hold their head down. Oh, they stopped bubbling. I think they're full. The sheep also have enemies. And so they need protecting. And so the shepherd must protect against thieves, robbers, and wolves. The enemy would like to destroy the sheep's relationship with the shepherd. Think about David. The sweet psalmist maniac on the battlefield. I mean, like polar opposites, singing a psalm while he swings the sword. You bipolar? Just by weirdo. He's an actor. He's in Gath, and the king of Gath is like, what in the world have you brought him? You know He's the one that circumcised 200 Philistines? Dead or alive? I don't know. They probably wanted to be dead. He's the one, and he goes back to Goliath's hometown, but he killed the nine and a half foot ish giant. Goes back to his hometown seeking refuge, and they're like, oh man, we have got to take him to the he gets there and he's surrounded by Philistines and he's like, man, I'm not going to be able to fight my way out of this one. And he literally starts starts act, foaming at the mouth. The Bible says that he starts letting spit fly out of his mouth. He starts walking crazy and they're like, oh, now it makes sense. He really is. He, somebody let him out of the loony bin. We thought he was this great man of God, but no, he's really just crazy. And so David starts like barking at them like a dog. Literally. Making noises. Jumps up on the gate of the city and swings out. And he's in his mind, he's thinking, man, I got away. And he gets down and he starts running and he gets up over the hill. And then he's like, Oh, thank the Lord, I made it. He goes back to saying David. Imagine all the times that the enemy was trying to get him separated from. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want to go look for another shepherd. I don't need to go look for another shepherd. I may not understand everything that he does. I may not understand all of his ways, but there's, I, I'm not going anywhere. Not. Shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. And so from, from the, the, the perspective of a shepherd, he knows that when I am in his care, like my sheep were, my father's sheep. That the sheep are not going to rest unless they feel safe. They're not going to eat unless they feel safe. They're not going to drink unless they feel safe. And so despite whatever's going on, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm safe with him. He leads me beside still waters where I don't have to worry about the enemy lurking in the water and lunging out of the water and, and dragging me in and drowning me. Even when he's taking me up these, these steep canyon places up into the highlands, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there's wolves and coyotes and cougars, 
I will fear no evil because he's with me. He knows how to lead me. He knows how to protect me. The kingdom of God, the church, is like a shepherd in his flock. enemy would like to destroy the sheep's relationship with the shepherd and the great shepherd in order to destroy the plan of God for the church to have dominion over him. If he could get the church disunified, he doesn't have to worry about the church having dominion because it'll never have dominion. You have to have unity in order to have dominion. And so when I, as your pastor, push you to grow, to become, hey, it's time to step up our game. It, it ties back into the analogy of the church as the shepherd and his flock, because the shepherd understands that if I keep the sheep in the same area, they're grazing animals. They're going to eat the grass all the way down to the ground, and then they're going to starve. So I've got to be willing to push them and move them because we, we might come back to this spot, but we might not. You know, it takes two acres of pasture per cow if you're not going to provide additional food. So if you want to have a herd of 20 cows, you've got to have 40 acres of pasture. The individual who is a cattleman or a shepherd has to know how much ground does this one need? Because I don't want them withering away to nothing. And I don't want them eating so much that their stomachs get packed and they literally die because they can't digest. So it's a balance. I don't want to give them too much that they choke. And I don't want to give them too little so they starve. So if, if you feel me coming behind you and saying, hey, we got to grow here, and, and I think it's time to, to lay that down. I think it's time to to grow here. I think you should really take this class. I really think you should read this book. It, it, it's because I don't want you in one place for too long. Now, how you respond to that pushing matter? How you respond to that matters. comes a point when the when the sheep takes off and they've taken off too many times in the chase what the shepherd does is he'll leave the 99 go find the one but when he gets to that one he has to break its leg now that also means he has to carry it back he has to break its leg so it associates the pain with leaving under shepherd must find his security in his relationship with the great shepherd so that his direction of the flock of God is accurate you know while the analogy of the church as the flock emphasizes the dependence of the sheep upon the shepherd if this were the only analogy it would appear that members of the kingdom of God who are not called to specific offices of the fivefold ministry are simple, unintelligent members. I don't have to provide a citation because I wrote that. <laughs> this is not the case 
you're not a bunch of simple and unintelligent dreamers. You're not. I don't believe that. I don't believe you are. I know you're not. This is not the case, and it emphasizes the necessity for the student to look more closely at other analogies, such as the church being like a great work of art. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Those very first five words, In the beginning, God created. The Hebrew word for created is used in various ways, including to shape or to form. It also involves incising or cutting, peeling back, cutting into but its primary use, and, and its only use in Genesis chapter 1, 1, is to describe God's ability to create something from nothing. Nihility. Nothing. No. Nothing. Zilch. Nothing. There's nothing there. Boom. There it is. How? Because God did it. We preach about that. We've discussed it in length. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Even the Godhead can be seen and understood by creation. That in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, we can view the nature of God by examining the things that are around us. When we look around there, and some of us have talked about it, you know, when we're out on a men's camping trip, you're hearing the crickets, and you're hearing the toads, and you're hearing the cicadas, and you're hearing all of those things, and, and you're, you're driving through the Smokies, and you see five bears in one day, and you're like, thank God they didn't eat us. That bear looked at me and was like, ooh, buffet. Like, ooh, gas pedal, let's go, baby. Close that front window, roll the windows up, we're riding. Ride or die. We're not dying today. We see the beauty of everything that God created. We see the mountains, we see the streams, you can hear it. I mean, imagine, it, it's not just visual. The flowers are beautiful to look at, but they're also fragrant. And so you smell it, and it's pleasing to your eyes, and it's pleasing to your sense of smell. I wouldn't try eating it. It might be tasty. I don't know. But you see it, and you see the brook, and you see the waterfall, but you hear it. And so it's not one-dimensional creation, and it's not one-dimensional pleasure. But God said, look. Is is a creative genius. He is the source of genius. He's the source of creativity. And when you start studying biology and microbiology and bacterial jello, it's just incredible. Before there was ever an outboard motor for a boat, when they looked in the microscope, they saw a bacterial flagellum. And it has all of the 
parts and the pieces that some guy in a garage, some hillbilly, some creative genius hillbilly was like, I won't make this boat go fast. And he puts all the parts and the pieces together, and boom, there's an outboard motor. He slaps it on the back of his John boat, and there he goes screaming down the river. And from there, oh Lord, I saw a boat for sale the other day that had four, four, count them, four, 400 horsepower outboard motors on the back. Screaming. Before they ever thought of doing that, I had it in such minute particles. Where do you think the idea? God created the outboard motor. God's a fisherman. Creative genius. And so the church is like a great work of art. We look and we see the creative genius of God around us in the natural world. It's filled with vibrant colors. It's filled with incredible textures and topography. He created things that would fill the air with noise and with sounds. Views to look at that would be pleasing to man's eye. And if he is, if he is that creative in the natural, what would the spirit world look like? Could you taste the color? Could you smell it? Could you taste the sounds? What is it like? And if he's that creative in nature, how would it be in the spirit? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We have been made. We have been formed. We have been created in Christ Jesus. The language literally means to create. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. And then he formed. Then he fashioned man out of the dust of the ground. So that you know it doesn't matter what shape you are in when you come to God. It doesn't matter how dead your life is. It doesn't matter how dirty it's been. It doesn't matter how muddy it's been. It doesn't matter how messy it's been. He spoke everything else into existence, but when he came to man, he formed man out of a pre-existing element. And then when he breathed into man, man becomes a living soul. He found man, and then he said, I want to create man to be livable. I want him to be useful, to make him habitable, habitable. I want to live inside of him, inside of her. And so I want to have my fingerprints on this person. So Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 9 through 11 say, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. 
to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God's using you. He wants to use you to show the universe. Show both natural and spiritual forces. This is what happens when you yield to me. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is designed to be the means of conveyance of God's artistic and creative work in the hearts and lives of men and women. A powerful lesson is shown in the book of Exodus as the children of Israel are delivered from more than 400 years of slavery. They're brought across the Red Sea. They're delivered from the Egyptians, which were a type of the world. And after Miriam's song ends, and Moses leads them to Mount Sinai, they're given their constitution, thus finalizing the work of making them a nation. God begins to speak to Moses regarding the necessity of creating furniture for the tabernacle that had not yet been created. I want, you, I want it to have a place for you to worship me. It can't be common. It can't just be any old normal place. It might look pretty shabby on the outside. It's going to be covered with badger skins. But I want to equip a man. In Exodus 31, verses 1 through 5. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled with him the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. You see, Bezalel would be the overseer of every manner of metalwork, timberwork, and craftsmanship so that the tabernacle's instruments of worship would be of the best quality. This may seem inconsequential, but the Israelites had been reduced in Egypt to brickmakers, to pounding mud in mud pits, and pressing mud into molds, and every day hearing the snap and crack of the taskmaster's whip, and hearing the shouts feeling the oppression of saying you're no better than the mud pit you're working in. Reduced. Reduced to just stomping out mud. God told Moses that's not my plan for them. You see the deliverance of God in the lives of of his people from Egypt, from the world. It ushers in initial victory. And that allows the man or the woman who had been reduced to just barely scraping by, by a mere meager existence. All of a sudden there, they have the ability to feel the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. And they have the ability to become a beacon of the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
they become a symbol of the greatness of God as their value is recognized. And so the church is not just the shepherd and his flock. The church is a great work of art. Because in the church is where you see the broken become beautiful. In the church, you see a place where, where the brush strokes of each member come together to form a beautiful masterpiece showcasing the creative genius of the designer and creator and it's in the church that you you realize the the meaning of genesis 9 and the latter part of verse 6 that says in the image of god made he man you are not simple and unintelligent you were created in the image of god in the image of God created He them. Male and female created He them. It doesn't matter if you're a man here tonight or a woman. You were created in the image of God. And when you come into the church, the church is a place where dreams can be realized. The church is a place where dreams can be actualized. Place. God can show forth His attributes to the world. If you're a creative person who has creative talents, God has given those to you because those are attributes of Himself. I can't tell you how valuable it is to be able to look at something that's empty, something that's broken, and to be able to see it for what it can be. I know to a lot of people it might just be a blank canvas. It might just be a block stone. One stone carver said, no, that, that image of David was in there the whole time. I just had to let it out. God sees you not where you're at right now, but He sees you perfected. Why do you think it's so important that, that John the Revelator said, I saw him as the Alpha and the Omega? It was the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He stands at the beginning and at the end simultaneously. So he knows where you're at, but he also knows where you're going. He also knows what you can be. And so when you feel the shepherd pushing you, he's pushing you towards what you can be. So the church is more than just where we come on Wednesday nights and where we come on Tuesday nights for corporate prayer. It's when I come into the house of God, I'm getting plugged in. I'm becoming attached to the place where, where my potential is actualized. Where my worth and my value is seen. So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock to what the world has told you that you are. I've seen students who the world labeled as being challenged. And when they were pulled out of that system and they were put into the system that says, listen, you are who God says you are. All of a sudden, the resources that they had needed before, they don't need now. 
because you get the atmosphere right and you get somebody believing in that person and all of a sudden now now the work of art that they really are because they were created in the image of God begins to shine We had just seen one brushstroke. Let's stand. If we had just seen one brushstroke, you know, it, it might be like, eh, maybe the world was right. It's not the case. The church. church it's like a great work of art that that which had been perhaps cast aside perhaps looked down on perhaps overlooked you know when you're on outreach and you see them and they're broken that's not who God created them to be It's not. It's not who God created them to be. God did not create them to be oppressed or depressed or possessed. He didn't. In fact, the world in which He created and intended for man to live was a perfect world. A perfect world. And that's where He wants them to be and the church is the closest place on earth to Eden it's not perfect it is not perfect sometimes some of the sheep get sideways sometimes the artwork hangs on the wall a little crooked it's got to be straightened when all of the brush strokes come together and you're able to see people now after the redeeming power of God. We're standing in an art gallery tonight of look what the Lord has done. And it's a beautiful display of the power of God and the, the transforming power of God and the redeeming power and I know that that stained glass, Brother Brian, might have started out as just a broken piece over here on the table. But when that broken piece gets put in the right place by somebody that knows what they're doing, like, you know, God, and it's combined with all these other pieces, and then he puts it all together, and all of a sudden it's like, my goodness, we were just going to throw that glass away. church says, you know what? That God has instituted the church to be able to, to sweep up the broken and say, you know what? Let's get this person in an altar. And all of a sudden, the broken pieces get to shifting around.
It's moving around. I wish I'd have thought about it beforehand. Technique in Japan where they take vessels of pottery that have been broken and they put them back together. But they do so with precious metal, gold. So by the time it gets done, and you can tell it's been broken, but man, there's veins of gold all over this piece. And it's worth more now after it's been broken and mended by a master than it was when it was whole before. I'm telling you folks, you are not simple. You are not unintelligent. You are a great work of art. We ought to lift our hands right now. I'm, I'm, I'm done teaching this for tonight. Let's lift our hands and let's give God thanks for the church. Let's give Him thanks for His redemptive power, His regenerating power. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in our lives. God, we magnify your name. God, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. God, we thank you that you are able to, to pull people out of the mud pits of Egypt and you're able to call, you're able to redeem, you're able to restore. God, you're able to work in their lives. You're able to do uh, miraculous things, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Don't be afraid of the brokenness that you see around you every day. All that's needed. All that's needed is to be able to gently lead them to the river of life. To the pasture where they can feed on the bread of life. church is like a shepherd and his flock. church is like a great work of art. I'm thankful to be a part of the church. I'm so thankful to be a part of the church. When we're able to step back When you're up close, you can see the, the, the layers of the oil paint. You can see the brush strokes. I'm thinking, man, what is that? And when you step back, you're able to take in the whole picture, the whole piece. You're able to see the, the creative genius of the artist. Bezalel had been pulled from the mud pits. But after an encounter with God, God pumped into that man. I mean, all Egypt had had him just a brickmaker. Makes no skill. A little water in a hole with some mud. Stomp on it, pull it out. Push it into a form. Let it dry. Maybe put it in a fire kiln. 
pull the mold off. Here we go. Thousands of times a week. Oh, now you're going to do it without straw. You know, I don't know if you've ever studied bricks. Most of you are like, oh, why would I do that? That's kind of my point, you know. Doesn't seem like it takes a whole lot of skill. By the time God got done with Bezalel, we'll talk about the church as a fine building next week. Fine craftsmen. Overlay that with gold. Becomes a woodworker, goldsmith, silversmith, brasssmith. Jesus' name. So don't be don't be astounded, don't be shocked. If you're praying, and all of a sudden these business ideas start rolling into your mind. I just I don't have the training. Even at Bezalel. I'm just this or I'm just that. So was Bezalel. Be afraid that God, you're part of the church. All of the rules of the world don't apply when God gets involved. Jesus, say one more time, let's give God a hand clap of praise. Let's lift our voices and thank him.